and welcome to the Not Your Type podcast, aimed to uplift and empower everyone in the diabetic community, from supporters to professionals, and of course, those living with it. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Not Your Type podcast. I'm your host, Alyssa Gothi, and welcome to the very first episode of 2024. Last time, we wrapped up 2023 by reviewing some of our best episodes, our goals for the new year, and all of the exciting plans that were coming into fruition. And the reason this episode has taken quite a few weeks or a month <laughs> to publish is because one of those plans was Miss America. It is still so surreal to me that I competed on the Miss America stage. I mean, it's iconic. For those who have been listening for a while now and know my journey, I was crowned Miss Iowa 2023 last June, meaning I have an entire year of service where I promote my diabetes advocacy efforts on an elevated platform, but also earned the spot on the national stage. So all 50 states plus Washington, D.C. come together to compete for the coveted title. But honestly, I learned it so much more than a competition, and I'll get into that in just a minute. I left on January 5th, right at the beginning of the year, to fly down to Orlando, Florida, and I was there for nearly two weeks for packed days of rehearsals, fun events, media coverage, interviews, competition, bonding with the girls, and the reason that I say it is so much more than a competition is because it truly did not feel like one. In all my years of competing, you always get the nerves, you always know that you are competing for something so much bigger than yourself, and while Miss America is the end-all be-all for many of us, I felt so at peace. For many of us, myself included, we've competed multiple times at those state competitions, and for me, that was always the dream. Miss Iowa was always the dream. The state title always felt like the end goal, and while being Miss America would be incredible, I just felt so at peace and I was so honored knowing I was there to represent the diabetes community as the only person with diabetes competing this year out of 102. And I was also there to make little Alyssa, who had started as a 10-year-old who just wanted to sing for people, I was there to make her proud. And with all the events and excursions that we had, we honestly really bonded as a class of women in a way that I didn't fully expect. You'll often hear about the sisterhood aspect of pageantry and you might roll your eyes, but especially in the Miss America opportunity, it is so true. Coming from different states, I didn't know if we would connect or if I would connect with anybody, but we all bonded really, really close as a group. And I just feel so grateful for all the women that I spent my time with. Some shout outs especially go to Miss Florida, Miss Indiana, Miss Illinois, Miss District of Columbia, Miss Kansas, who was my roomie, Miss Alabama, Miss Georgia. There were so many people that I hung out with and it was just the best time. Another special shout out to someone I hung out with a few times throughout the week, who is our new Miss America, who was Miss Colorado, Madison Marsh. And oh my goodness, I am so proud and excited for her. She is truly amazing. She made history as the first active duty military officer to win the national title of Miss America, and she advocates for pancreatic cancer in honor of her mother. I hung out with Madison a few times throughout the week, and she was just a joy to be around, and so to be able to call Miss America a friend is so crazy, but so cool, and I'll be seeing her later this February, so definitely stay tuned. While all of that has been 
both exhausting and exhilarating, my work is far from done. I still have until this June as Miss Iowa, and with or without a crown, I plan to continue my diabetes work just as I have for over a decade now. So stay tuned this year for more guests, for more updates, and of course, some more episodes. Speaking of episodes, I'd say it's time we officially get into one. (laughs) We are starting 2024 with a very special guest whom I met at Friends for Life Orlando this past July, right after I was crowned Miss Iowa. George Huntley is the Chief Executive Officer of the Diabetes Patient Advocacy Coalition, DPAC, and the Diabetes Leadership Council. DPAC works to promote and improve public policy initiatives to improve the health of all people living with diabetes. DPAC is an alliance of people with diabetes, caregivers, patient advocates, health professionals, diabetes organizations, and companies with the goal of working collaboratively in the fight for better research, better legislation, and ultimately bettering the lives of those living with diabetes. Our episode today largely focuses on healthcare and insurance coverage, a topic that is honestly all too important for those living with diabetes or other chronic conditions. As someone who is only a few years away from being booted from her parents' insurance, this was an extremely helpful conversation, and they had really amazing resources as well on display at Friends for Life. So if you are looking to meet other people with diabetes or in the diabetes community, definitely check out the Friends for Life conference to get more resources and information on this topic. I highly recommend taking notes if you can and diving more into the information that DPAC provides. So without further ado, please welcome George Huntley. I am joined today by George Huntley from the Diabetes Patient Advocacy Coalition and Diabetes Leadership Council. And to start, I want you to just talk a little bit about your own diabetes journey, you know, when you were diagnosed and also what your role with the DLC and DPAC is. Sure. Uh, Listen, thank you very much for having me today. I appreciate the opportunity to chat. Um, I've been living with type 1 diabetes for 40 years. I have a sister, niece, and great nephew also living with type 1 diabetes, so it's definitely in the family, although prior to my sister and my diagnosis 40 years ago, we didn't know uh, because it would skip generations and you didn't live prior to 1921. So, uh, But in 40 years, I've seen a lot of changes in the diabetes uh, management, the, the technologies, the insulins, the pumps, the CGMs, all of those things, and I've been, you know, fortunate to, uh, come out of that largely unscathed by complications. I've been very, very fortunate in that regard. Got involved with the American Diabetes Association in 1986 uh, as a volunteer. Uh, You know, jokingly, heaven forbid they cure the disease and I'm the last guy to find out. So I I better get involved and and, and get involved in this market, in in this community. And this is definitely, as you know, a pay it forward disease. You know, someone helps you, holds your hand, helps you figure out how to live with it. And then you naturally, you know, want to help others do the same. And I, I've been doing that for a very long time. And I'm privileged now to, uh, I was privileged to be the, uh, a national chair of the board of the American Diabetes Association in 2009. And, and uh, privileged to be with a, a number of uh, friends that were originally past chairs of the ADA. Now we've got past leaders of a number of other uh, diabetes organizations that, that founded the Diabetes Leadership Council, where I am now the CEO. Um, you know, the Diabetes Leadership Council is a 501c3 advocacy organization where we advocate for access and affordability and equity uh, on behalf of patients with diabetes. And uh, we're with also the Diabetes Patient Advocacy Coalition, 
which is a 501c4, uh, which allows us to lobby. And the 501c4 is the grassroots army where we have thousands of advocates across the country, every state in the union um, that can weigh in on the policy positions that the DLC has vetted, if you will. And how can they become a part of that advocate army? Ah, thank you for asking that. Uh, they should go to diabetespac.org and uh, sign up. It's right there on that homepage. You can sign up to be an advocate. Just need your name and zip, really zip code. Uh, and uh, that allows us to win that when something's happening in your area, whether again, whether it's a state or a federal thing, we can get you in touch with the legislator that is appropriate for the issue at hand. I should also say that as an advocate, please, if you're listening, also sign up at JDRF.org and diabetes.org with the American Diabetes Association. Sign up on all three of these platforms. You will get notices when there are issues that impact people with diabetes at you, in your state or your or federally, and you you know get you in touch with that. But we go after uh, we typically go go after uh, different issues, if you will, um, and uh, we try to complement each other, not duplicate it. So you're not going to get extra spam. You're just going to get your voice used and amplified in in more ways than just any one of them together. Yes, I'm signed up for all three, and it's very helpful in seeing what is going on in the world of diabetes and the different perspectives, and of course, the work that DPAC is doing. You shared with me earlier before we started recording that there was an exciting breakthrough that was just announced today as we are recording. Do you want to go ahead and share that with us? I'd love to. I'd love to. Um, this is a, a technical nuance, but the Diabetes Leadership Council and DPAC um, sued the federal government, and also on that lawsuit is the HIV Hepatitis Policy Institute. But we sued HHS, the federal government, over a ruling that they had that allowed copay accumulator programs to exist. And what a copay accumulator program does is it effectively steals a manufacturer's copay assistance, a coupon that a manufacturer may provide to a patient who can't afford their medications. And these accumulator programs have been taking those um, those assistance, taking that assistance and those coupons away from the patients and uh, bringing that into the plan, so that the patient is only getting credit for their actual net out of pocket instead of the the actual cost of the drug. So if you're in your deductible period and you had a thousand dollar drug, your the plan didn't help you. You had to go buy a thousand dollar drug. The fact that you had a nine hundred dollar coupon is you know, you did that, you found that on your own, you should be getting that uh, full coupon value for having purchased that $1,000 drug, credit for your deductible, credit for your out-of-pocket maximums. The Affordable Care Act says any payments made by or on behalf of a patient must be counted toward their out-of-pocket. And the judge agreed with us and we won the lawsuit. They announced that we got the court ruling on Friday, the press release is going out the, today, which is, it's very exciting for patients. Absolutely. On that same thread or in the same vein, at Friends for Life Orlando, where I actually met you, you had a session on healthcare and health insurance. And for me, as someone who is actually turning 24 tomorrow and soon to be, Happy birthday. thank you, and soon to be 26 in a couple of years, it's important to know those things ahead of time or as someone just you know entering the workforce, graduating college, getting their own insurance. So can you tell me what some of those barriers other than what you just touched on 
that people are facing towards that comprehensive healthcare coverage and what work is being done to counteract that? Well, so the, the barriers that are out there, and when you when you first and foremost getting coverage itself, right? So if you're un, if you're uninsured, that's the worst place to be. Uh, and when you uh, you know finally have your 26th birthday and you ha- are are thrown off of your parents' plan, and if you're if you're under 26 and blessed to be on a parents' plan, thank your parents and hug them. But um, there are many that don't aren't able to even join their parents' plan because perhaps they're not insured or not no longer with them. But if you're uninsured, you need to get insurance. Um, you either get that from your employer or you go to the exchanges to get that at that at, at that age point, if you will. If you are fortunate enough to have something from your employer, that's great. If you go to the exchanges, go go to the exchanges. Don't be uninsured. Then you've got the issue of what which which plan do I pick? Right. Which plan do I pick? And the the answer is the all in cost of that plan. There's a lot of variables that are going to a place when you think about making that health care decision, that health insurance selection decision. Um, It's not just what's the premium. You know, so your premium is, is, is an important piece of it. And also understand that if you're getting your insurance from your employer, that premiums coming out of your paycheck pre tax. So it's likely that your insurer, your employer's insurance is cheaper than the exchange insurance just because of that tax value of paying for it through your employer. So if you can get it from your employer, that's a win. But once you've dealt with that, that, that premium, you still have what's my deductible. And a patient with, their, with diabetes is going to meet their deductible pretty much 100% of the time. So whatever that number is, you add to your premium, that's part of your total cost. And then you've got to figure out what your cost share is outside. Once you've met your deductible, you get into this cost share piece and you've got to actually do the, do the work. You got to do the math. What am I paying for insulin after I've met my deductible? What are my pump supplies? If I have it, what are my CGM supplies? And you need to get organized in, in doing that. And there are a number of, of organizations that diabetes link has some great insurance uh, things on their site uh, JDRF has some great insurance things on their site as far as helpful things to help the pay, the person walk through these these decisions. And now you've got insurance. Uh, so now you've got insurance. You've picked the right one, and then the insurance doesn't work for you because you get denied. Um, and so you get denied. Now you've got to fight. And a patient with diabetes. I mean, we know how to fight. Uh, because life's a fight now. Like, you know, we've had to, we've had to overcome diversity and we've had to be tenacious and persistent. And in insurance, unfortunately, it's another area where we, we must do that as well. So you will get an insurer that will medically switch your insulin. So non-medically switch, excuse me, very important, non-medically switch your insulin. So they've changed the formulary because they got a better deal from the manufacturer. And instead of being on Novolog, you're on Humalog. Or instead of Lantis, you're on Basiglar or or or, or one of the other assembly. Uh, none of those are bad insulins, but whatever you've been on is what you want to stay on, and your your insurance is forcing you to go to switch. So you've got to learn to you know to fight some of those those issues on those denials on those rejections, and you're going to win some. And and, and the insurance company is counting on you to give up. Uh, they make more money when you give up. And so the, you know, the, the real message is never, ever, ever, ever give up. Always keep fighting. I know for me, I've had my insurance non-medically switch some of my insulins. I'm on Basiglar now and I have been for a few years, but 
back when it happened, I did not realize that that was something I could fight for, or that was something that I should be aware of. I mean, that's the other thing. The other piece too, is sometimes you just go along with it thinking that's how it's supposed to be. And that you don't need to advocate for yourself in that way when really you should, because this is medication that you cannot live without. These are technologies you cannot live without. I know so many people and so many plans will deem CGMs as non-essential when in reality they are life-saving. And you're, you're, you're quite correct. And on the CGM issue, uh, you should, that's a fight you should win um, every time. If you're on insulin, even at type two uh, that's on insulin, they should win every time on getting that CGM and, and that fight you should stay because they're denying you access to the technology altogether. That's a different denial than switching you from Lantus to Basiglar or switching you from Humalog to Novolog. And you don't always win that one. Um, and you may they may decide to cover it, but you're cost out of pocket for the one you wanted because that they didn't want to, you know, maybe, maybe prohibitive. Fighting is always, it's, you know, appealing is always something to do, but you got to work the, I call it work the problem. I'm fortunate that mine is covered, but I know a lot of people struggle because it is an expensive tool that you need to, that you need to have. How many states, I know there are about 25 out of our 50 states that have an insulin price cap. There might be more now. How many have CGMs included in that price cap? Are there any? Precious few, I think maybe one or two have a what we call supplies covered in addition to uh, the price cap on insulin. Uh, precious few have that. We have we we always try, uh, but that's not uh, something that has had a lot of success. Uh, what we're fighting now, and, and not fighting, but what we're working on now is Medicaid at the state level and getting. Um, the and this is again more for type two than type ones because there's rarely a fight that CGM shouldn't be covered for a type one on insulin. We that we we're, we've won the vast majority of those, and anybody who's lost that, anybody who's still getting a denial on that, you're going to win on appeal. Just appeal, just appeal, appeal, appeal. On a type two, a lot of the regs say you've got to have multiple daily injections. And so if you're on one shot of Lantus a day, many states are denying you access to a CGM. And we're starting to win that. Medicare changed its uh, criteria last spring. And so we're going out saying, hey, Medicare made this change. Usually commercial plans and Medicaid follow. But you've got to chase 50 states and you've got to chase a lot of the commercial plans. Uh, so, you know, you get a win and it's exciting but you still got to fight to get that, have that win propagated everywhere. Right. Iowa right now does not have any cap on insulin or supplies. And that's something that I am fighting for and joining teams with DPAC and the DLC to do. But moving on a little bit, there are a lot of terms that people don't really know going into health insurance and getting coverage especially because it can be so overwhelming. And you actually just had an email. So this is a great reason to also sign up for the DPAC emails that said only about 11% of Americans are literate for health insurance terms. So I'm going to ask you a couple to just kind of through them and help people understand. So first of all, a premium, what is a premium? A premium is the price you pay to get access to the plan. So I would liken it to saying I'm playing, I'm paying dues for Sam's club. These are the dues to get you into 
the club, the network that buys you access to the pricing at the doctor's office, the, you know, and, and the pricing for the drugs, even though in drugs, you can ask me later on that, because many cases you're not getting Sam's club prices for the drugs during your deductible, but you are getting access to the formulary. And what is a deductible? A deductible is the amount that you have to pay out of pocket before insurance kicks in. So you're, you've paid a premium to get access to it, but now you got to pay your deductible before any of that insurance is actually going to be of value to you. The only way I would, I would caveat that in, even when you're in your deductible, when you go see the doctor, you are getting value because you're getting the negotiated rate of that network, Aetna, Anthem, Cigna, whatever, United Healthcare, you're going to get the doctor's rates within that network that you're paying your, during your deductible. But you've got to pay that and those prices before the insurance will kick in and pay that the rest of that bill. So going off of that, what about a co-payment? Okay, a co-payment, it happens after you've met your deductible. So if you're making a copay, you're not you've you've already met your deductible or what you're getting is outside of the deductible bypasses the deductible and it's considered preventive care. So if you're getting a wellness visit, you're just paying a copay and it's not part of your deductible and that's okay. In some cases, uh, in really good insurance, but unfortunately, sadly, not many, uh, insulin will bypass the deductible. If an insurer, uh, insurer can design their plans where anything a chronic disease patient needs can actually bypass the deductible, that's exceptional coverage and it's a very smart insurer uh, but not many, sadly, are doing that. But if you're just going right to a copay, you're outside of your deductible, or you've already met your deductible, and now you're on a copay or a co-share, a cost share, which is usually a percentage of the price of the drug or service versus a flat amount. So if you have a copay, it's usually a flat amount, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever it might be. A co-share might be 20% or 30% of the value of that service or drug. And we also have some acronyms that we often use as well. Can you tell me more about a PBM and what their role is in terms of healthcare and insurance? The PBM is the pharmacy benefit manager. Uh, their job is to uh, manage the drug portion of a health insurance plan. So uh, there's a drug and the major medical portion. The PBM is, in, is responsible for the drug portion. I'll tell you the good and the bad. So their job is to manage that process and they establish the formulary. So when the formulary is the list of drugs that the plan is gonna cover. Um, what's unfortunately happening is the, the PBM is now taking a piece of every transaction. Uh, so you've heard about, you may have heard about drug rebates. And so the rebates are coming from the drug company to the PBM. And the average rebate on a branded drug is about 50%. It's 48% the average. In insulin, it's 70 to 80% of the list price of a vial of insulin is the rebate. And that's going back to the PBM. And that's a market access fee for uh, to, to get access to the formulary. The, the largest three PBMs are Express Scripts, CVS Caremark, and OptumRx. And those three have over 80 to 85% plus of the U.S. drug market. So they have a lot of power in negotiating these rebates. So what's happening is the PBMs are 
um, having a perverse incentive to put the highest price drug on the plan because they get a slice of the pie. Um, and so when you're in your deductible period, you're paying list price and that list price is higher. It's inflated more than it should be uh, because of the rebate game the PBM is driving. And what is the manufacturer's role of that drug? Is it the same as the PBM? Is it very different? The manufacturer's role, obviously, they they create, they develop the drug and they're bringing it to market. So they've they've, they've you know got all the R and D and all of this. Um, they establish the list, the the suggested list price. It you know um, wholesale price is what they 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 create that. And there's I, it's too detailed for this audience, but they're the 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 number of prices within a drug system is is insane. But the manufacturer sets that suggested retail. If you go buy a car, you have that suggested retail price and then the sticker price. You know, um, the manufacturer sets that. Um, but the retail, the rebate then goes back through to the to the PBM, not to the patient. Typically, they will just in order to get access to it, they'll raise the list price so that they can give a bigger rebate. So if you look at the cost of insulin over the past decade. The list price went up 143%. The net cost of insulin cut 53%. So it cut more than in half while it went up 143%. So the PBM's doing their job, but the patient is the one getting getting hurt in the middle. They're, we're getting stuck. And why do you think the cost of insulin has continuously gotten higher and higher? Is it because they see that we need it and we'll pay for it because we can't survive without it? So I think the answer to that, there's it, all of the above, but the real, if you look at that drive up of 143%, that's all driven by the rebate. So literally in the past decade, the net cost of insulin cut in half. So um, the if you think about in 1996, it was 25 bucks a vial. In 2023, it's about 50 bucks a vial. I'm very rounded numbers. Don't hold me to that to the penny. But you know, it only doubled in a 20, almost 30 year period. Now, if you look, look at inflationary math, that, that's really not much at all. The list price went through the bloody roof and that was driven by the PBM wanting a rebate on it. So um, very few people really understand that role of that middleman and what happened in the American drug pricing and I, I could nerd out on when the middleman came in on the when they created Medicare Part D and put that law in place, because that's when this whole Pandora's box opened uh, between that and the high deductible health plans. The rebate game became legal and became something that was just happening and, and, and grew like a snowball or an avalanche. And with the high deductible health plans, patients became exposed to it. Uh, and um, it, and really getting hurt. It's frustrating as people who live with diabetes to see how this hurts so many people, and especially when healthcare as a whole has been an issue for many, but especially when you live with a chronic condition and need access to medication or else you face fatal consequences, it's even more frustrating. It's just another stressor on top of living with diabetes that already has its stressors. So what work does DPAC and the DLC do and what efforts can people join to ensure that all 50 states have these price caps, have accessible insulin and medications? 
So first off, uh, in the case of insulin, the answer is a cap. What DPAC does is we go forth and we have a couple things that we, a, a major uh, coalition that we're leading called the Patient Pocket Protector Coalition. And we've got ooh, a couple of dozen nonprofits, not just diabetes, trying to pass rebates through to patients at point of sale. Okay, so if the average rebate is 48%, if you're in your deductible period and you're not and you're not getting that passed through to you, you're literally paying double what your insurance company is paying. So we are going state by state and getting laws passed to make sure that those rebates are passed through to patients at point of sale. And we have succeeded it, we, right now three states. We're just getting started, but we've got three states. That's a decent foothold. We started in West Virginia uh, this past this past year, Arkansas and Indiana signed uh, signed law, created laws uh, on passing through rebates at point of sale. We tracked it in 15 states. Uh, so we're following that same playbook to get that moving. You get enough states going, it'll the, usually the federal government eventually picks it up because when you get something passed at the state level, you're only really impacting state level plans, which are the exchanges or the state insurance. You know, any but it's not all commercial plans and it's certainly not Medicare. In the case of insulin, passing through rebates is not good enough because getting the price of insulin down to $50 a vial is still too expensive when someone needs three, four or five vials. And somebody with type two with heavy insulin resistance could need six plus vials. And as you know, they may be on long acting and short acting. So it it's it still cost prohibitive after you pass the rebate through. Uh, not to say that it's really important we pass those rebates through, but we also need to uh, cap the cost of insulin. And so about 26 states uh, or so have already done so. Uh, Medicare passed it or capped it you know, a year ago in the summer, which is a major win, but we have not got it in commercial plans. So um, we still want federal, the federal government to do it and in passing it through commercial plans. Sign up at DPAC. Sign up at the at diabetes.org. Those ADA and DPAC are the ones fighting that the hardest. JDRF is involved, but JDRF does not do any state advocacy work. That's why you need to be part of all of us, uh, because that's how your voice really gets heard. I love it. Thank you so very much for sharing all of that. I'm hoping it's insightful to people who might just want to, more insight on health insurance, health care and the way that they can advocate, because I know I was really scared when I started lobbying or going to my state and federal legislators about this issue. And what I realized as well, kind of building off of that, is sharing your personal experience and your story is really impactful. And then pairing it with people from DPAC, from the American Diabetes Association, who have those numbers, who have the ideas and plans that they can implement forward to make sure that you are working together because it is a community and we're all there to support each other. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we say goodbye? Uh, no, the only thing I will do that just to underscore what you just, the point you just made, you get those emails that say, please click here, please send a note to your legislator. Do it. Your voice matters. Seven phone calls, seven letters is a groundswell to a legislator. It's not a hundred, it's seven. Uh, your voice matters. Share it with your social media stream and get others to, to sign on to these things. If you've got the opportunity to sign on to a petition, it takes you seconds of your day, but it does help the cause. 
advocacy takes a long time. It's not for the faint of heart. You have to, it's a long-term game, uh, but your voice does matter. So use it whenever those, that opportunity arises. So I really appreciate the opportunity to be on the program today. Thank you so much, George, for being my first guest of 2024. This information will be so helpful to our listeners. And if you would like to learn more or become an official advocate, you can sign up at diabetespac.org where you can engage in discussions, learn from professionals in the diabetes community, and of course, make your voice heard. Until next time. (laughs) 